This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Mindariwal. And welcome to The Loop. It's been a long pandemic. I mean, the longest I've ever known, <laughs> which isn't saying much. But yeah. now we're heading into our second COVID Christmas. Um, so today on the show, we're looking at burnout. Basically, how we can better take care of ourselves and, and everyone around us, because it's been like 21 months. That is crazy stuff. to hear that. I know. It's it's a big number. Um, I mean, Min, what do you do when you're feeling overwhelmed these days? Um, I think for me, you know, exercise is kind of my go-to yeah. or, or just watching something funny on TV. Yeah. Or, you know, we go for some long walks. We live near ravines, mm-hmm. so that that's always good. Fresh air is good. Yeah. Staying busy with the kids. I mean, they they play soccer, so uh, that's been a that's been a big part of it, right? So yeah. I, I think you got You have to keep busy and 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 talk about it. Right? Yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's important connection, right? Like my thing is always, I just call my mom, right on. or my dad, or yeah. both. Usually both, <laughs> and then if they're busy, my sister. <laughs> party call, party call line. <laughs> yeah, but but no, it's true. It's that connection, and it's just we're all finding the different ways that we need to stay connected and to feel supported and to talk yeah. about what's going on. Yeah, support is key, definitely. Yeah, because yeah, it's been a lot for everyone, mm-hmm. um, but especially for frontline healthcare workers. As sort of each wave goes on, it feels like we have less and less to give. Um, we're sort of starting with less in the tank. Um, there's been a lot of emotional. Um, sort of challenges throughout the whole pandemic. And I know it was very public sort of knowledge, right, that it was, there was so many people dying and there, everything was just so sad. Um, families couldn't visit their loved ones. And so we sort of carried the brunt of, of being that person. And then as the pandemic's gone on and people have you know, develop different ideologies in terms of vaccination. Um, We've somehow had to become um, the first sort of people in line to get, to basically be told, you know, by people or their families that they disagree with what's happening and somehow it's our fault to deal with all of that on top of being really, really tired and not having time away from work to sort of do any healing it's just been really compounded the amount of of exhaustion um you know people talk a lot about things like compassion fatigue and how we sort of see ourselves changing throughout this pandemic and not being able to be the same kind of nurses that we were before and that's really it's really sad to a lot of us that we can't care the same or we wouldn't survive this. Kathleen Cobb is an ICU nurse at The Miz who's been working in healthcare for two decades. And she's not alone. Someone else who spends her time taking care of others is Dr. Shazma Mithani. She's an emergency physician at the Royal Alec, the Northeast Community Health Center, and the Stollery. Hi, Dr. Mithani. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Um, it was a year ago. You actually did. You came on CBC to talk about burnout for healthcare workers. Can I ask, how, how are you feeling today? You know, to be honest, I don't even remember the last time we talked, but um, <laughs> that's okay. It's it's been a long year, um, yeah. and my guess is, given given what the what I know the last year has been like for me, that I'm probably feeling even more burnt out than I did yeah. uh, at that time a year ago. 
Yeah. And in that time, too, when we talk about that last year, it a lot happened. Um, you know, we first started to get vaccines just under a year ago. So how has that played out? How have things changed for you? You know, when um, I do actually recall exactly how I feel when or how I felt when um, when the vaccine announcements were starting to come come up, when, you know, we were hearing that there was an effective vaccine, um, that the rollout was starting, it really made me feel quite hopeful. Um, and, and I really felt at that time um, that it was the beginning of the end of this, that, you know, everybody would just do the right thing and get vaccinated and that we would be able to be looking at this in the rearview mirror. And by now, uh, with, with the holiday season approaching us, that we would be able to be back to normal and, you know, visiting with our friends and families, not having to worry about this, this looming pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, uh, here we are a year later, uh, with with even more terrible waves than we had around the time um, the vaccine was started about a year ago. And so um, it's pretty disheartening when I kind of lay it all out like that and, and kind of reflect on how this last year has gone and that period of hope that I was feeling and, and kind of what or how things ended up playing out after that. Yeah. I mean, how do you handle that, right? I feel like vaccines, they felt like a finish line in so many ways, and they didn't turn out quite like we expected. How did you handle that? How how have you been taking care of yourself? You know, it wasn't like there was this one event that just happened. It was it was kind of a slow progression over the last year, right? I mean, there was mm-hmm. this, this light at the end of the tunnel, or, or what it felt like at the time, um, a finish line, like you said. And then slowly, you know, you start to realize that um, poor decisions were being made, whether that be uh, vaccine hesitancy and poor uptake or uh, decisions by policymakers to open things up more quickly than uh, should have happened. And then those, you know, uh, multiple decisions led to the third wave and then the fourth wave. Um, And I mean, it just, (laughs) in terms of how I'm handling it, it's, it's, it's been challenging um, because it really feels like during that time where things progressed, um, it also um, increased the amount of misinformation that was out there and, and the amount of um, kind of targeted harassment, uh, the amount of vocal people who were kind of coming out against healthcare workers who were advocating for the vaccine, advocating for restrictions when they were necessary um, and trying to keep the healthcare system afloat. So things kind of have really, I guess, spiraled over the last year. Yeah. And you are one of many kind of healthcare workers and doctors who have been taking the stand, have been trying to tackle misinformation and, and going online, sharing information, answering questions when there's really a lot of anger out there. What's that experience been like for you and what have you heard from others about it? You know, it's kind of, it's it's two-sided for me. Um, on the one side, it's certainly, as an individual, um, very hard to put yourself out there, um, you know, as an expert in, in, a, in a position of expertise, uh, to really try to, to combat this misinformation and to try to educate the public about what the right thing to do is and what the science is saying, and then facing this um this trolling uh, really is what it is of, mm-hmm. of and, and this backlash of um, people um, using derogatory words, uh, very much targeted harassment. So there's the, what, that one side, and, and that's really an extreme, but it's certainly becoming more and more common. But then on the other side, 
you know, the people that are certainly not as aggressive um, in their harassment, you, you, I, I do honestly feel some, some empathy for them because mm. you can't blame some of these people for getting to where they are today um, in terms of mistrust and um, hesitancy about vaccination, for example. Mm-hmm. because of how this last year has been, right? It's been this um, flourishing of misinformation that has been very poorly controlled by, um, by leaders and by government. Um, you know, some of, some of that misinformation um, has unfortunately been perpetuated by, by some of our uh, leaders. And so when you have, you know, this, the public who are not scientific, who don't have this medical background, I, I can't blame them for having... Uh, mistrust for for believing maybe what their mother or their father or their you know their their aunt or their uncle are telling them because that's someone that they trust um, and then having all this contradicting information coming from from leaders it's it's a very challenging position to be in uh, as an Albertan yeah. yeah. I mean, what kind of conversations are you having with colleagues? I can only imagine this challenging situation gets even harder when all of you are feeling this kind of exhaustion and facing some of these arguments. It's it's been tough at work. I mean, especially during the fourth wave. Thankfully, things are settling down now. But mm-hmm. the fourth wave, I have to say, was by far the most challenging um, for for many reasons. I mean, it was just an onslaught of of sick sick patients. Uh, the Delta variant, um, you know, certainly spared no expense. It was we had young unvaccinated people who were who were otherwise healthy who were coming in very very sick who were dying who were going to ICU, and that's um, that's hard to see every day. Uh, so there was that aspect of it, but then at the same time, seeing that, um, some of these people were still in complete disbelief and denial about why they were there, um, about how the vaccine would have prevented their illness or prevented the severity of illness that they were coming in with. Um, and then on the outside, I mean, we were having protests at hospitals, anti-vax, anti-vax protests at hospitals while we were trying to go to work and save people's lives. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, all of those things together, um, and then coupled with you know the healthcare system literally collapsing, right? It like surgeries being canceled, levels of triage taking place. Even though the critical care triage system was never enacted um, formally, there was triage that was happening all over the province. Patients being moved around um, to places they wouldn't have been moved around to, and so you know the moral distress and moral injury that comes from all of those things was very challenging. Where have you found strength to keep going when you're facing all of these challenges and this hell of a year we've had? I think it's just the little things um, because really that's, you have to try to get joy from the little things, right? And so um, getting little cards in my mailbox at work from from supportive um, members of the public, um, focusing on my family and my friends who thankfully, I mean, I haven't had to deal with any sort of immediate friends or family who are against vaccines, we, we all kind of are just supporting each other and trying to get through this and get to the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, and just finding, finding little moments to like exercise, take care of myself and, and just, you know, have little, little breaks, mental breaks. And then even just, you know, the other day I was talking to um, uh, a friend who had let me know that after listening to an interview that I had done about childhood vaccines, they were able to convince their sister to get get her kids vaccinated, and so wow. just hearing little stories like that, um, it it is very it, it means a lot to to know that 
you know, on the one side, there are all these trolls coming at you for, for advocating for childhood vaccines, but even one or two cases um, of making a difference makes it all worth it. Yeah. What's it been like for your family to kind of watch you go through this, not only watching a healthcare worker in the midst of a pandemic, but also just watching you face all these challenges and, and see the toll this is taking? Um, I mean, my poor husband has had to, uh, <laughs> he's been so great at supporting me through, through this last year and a half and, and kind of just seeing, um, how things have been affecting me at work and then, you know, on, on the advocacy side and, um, my, my kids too, my, my, my oldest is kind of old enough to understand, um, you know, that mommy has to do an interview or mommy has to, you know, make sure that people, um, know to get vaccinated and to be careful with COVID. And so um, they've been really supportive and um, just have given me the space that I need to, to, to work and then to do the advocacy, but then also the, the space and the time to, you know, recover or sleep in when I need to, just to try to um, recharge a little bit. Yeah. How good do those sleep ins feel? So great. <laughs> I don't get them very often, but uh, but when I do, I take I take advantage of them. I mean, I apologize. This is far from the cheeriest conversation, but I do have to ask. You know, we're going into our second pandemic Christmas. Um, are Are you worried at all? Is there a feeling that this just isn't going to end, or at least not anytime soon? It certainly doesn't feel like it. Um, you know, the cases are going down, but they've certainly plateaued at a higher level than they previously have been. And now, you know, with the new Omicron variant, um, it's certainly concerning. Uh, We don't know what that's going to look like, probably still for weeks. And then with the holidays, I mean, again, all all of us want is to have a normal holiday season where we can like have parties and see our friends and family and share food together and, you know, just be carefree and not have to worry about it. But unfortunately, that's, again, not what this holiday season is going to be like. Or it shouldn't be like, I should say. Um, it certainly won't be like for my family. And I, I just, I worry that people are just done with this. They're sick of it. They've been sick of it for a long time. And I guess that I am too. Um, but then that that would translate to, to some maybe not so great decision making and, and a spike in cases after the holidays. And, and none of us want to see that. Yeah. I mean, I want to thank you and all of your colleagues for the work that you're doing to keep Albertans healthy and safe. What do you want people to know when it comes to the health of our healthcare workers right now? I guess I just want people to know that we are doing everything we can for for everybody. And sometimes the things that we say may not be the most popular and certainly not what what people want to hear. But we're not doing it out of any maliciousness. There's no secondary gain here. I guess, except for keeping the healthcare system intact, right? Um, and, and not seeing people come, come to us being sick and, and needing, um, you know, life-saving medical treatment. We, we just want to keep people happy and healthy and safe. And, and we want this to be over just as much as the rest of everybody else does. We just need to do it in a smart way so that we don't, that we don't do this again. And, and please, I mean, if you see a healthcare worker, just let us know that you that you hear us that you see us because sometimes even though we know that most people are thinking it um it really is meaningful to to hear it uh from our patients yeah well well dr Mathani, again thank you um i hear you and i'm so thankful for your time um and for your work and i really do wish you a lot of sleep-ins because i think i think those might be nice <laughs> thank you so much 
These last two years have left not only healthcare workers, but honestly, all of us burnt out. The added stress of living in a pandemic, worrying about restrictions, seeing people we care about getting sick, and of course, so many of us being isolated in different ways. But there are ways to cope and to take care of ourselves. So we wanted to talk to someone who helps people overcome things like burnout with baking. Uh, mm. Riley Miller is the owner of Proved Baking and Therapy Counseling in Leduc. Welcome to The Loop, Riley. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Can, can you explain just a bit about what Proofed is and what you do there? Yeah, so I started this private practice of mine back in September 2020. And really, it's just um, a therapy practice where I incorporate baking into it. So similar to, say, pet therapy or art therapy, I use baking as a medium to um, help people talk about whatever it is that they want to talk about in session. And Riley, I mean, you know, I thought I knew about everything, especially being in this business, but I have never heard of <laughs> this type of uh, therapy before. And, and I guess I guess the question is, why baking and how does it kind of all fit together with therapy? Well, as you know, with the pandemic, um, lots of people picked up baking and thought it was naturally very, uh, you know, calming and therapeutic. And it's one of my passions. And so I combined the two and I thought that they'd be a really great fit. And so far, it's it's been really, um, really great for a lot of clients. It's, it's just a really great medium. It's calming. It, it helps people kind of be more relaxed and stay in a more traditional or clinical setting. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, anytime you walk into a home that where baking has been going on, it does kind of <laughs> bring you to a different level, right? It brings um, down your guard. Yeah, it absolutely yeah. does. And so so is, is there like a favorite thing to bake with clients or a certain recipe that that works better than others? You know, I sessions? really try to yeah, I really try to do something that's really working with your hands. So like doughs, like say like pie doughs, pies, bread, something that really hits all of the senses, right? So you have the the touch, the smell, so that you're really immersed. Because, you know, I found that it's particularly helpful for people that are, you know, suffering from anxiety. It just, mm. it, it focuses their attention away from perhaps maybe the heavier stuff that they're talking about. Mm. And, and does the baking ever go poorly <laughs> at all? For sure. <laughs> of we're course. Not, you know, we're not experts, and that's said at the start. So we're learning, and sometimes we come out with it not so great, uh, um, you know, Stuff, but sometimes we come up with really good stuff, and that's that's the point of it. It's so interesting because I feel like there's so much feeling tied up in baking and, and using your hands. And you mentioned it does make some of those kind of tough conversations easier. Does it ever feel weird to be talking about, you know, family trauma while there's, like, flour everywhere? Yeah. Does that ever feel odd? You know, not not really, right? <laughs> okay. You know, it, 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 there could be moments for sure, but it really kind of just levels the playing field between, you know, therapist and client because it's, it's in a different kind of setting. And, you know, I understand that some topics are going to be harder. So we really try to, well, I really try to go at the pace of where they're at. So if a client needs a moment, we take a little bit of a break or we just simply chat about something else while we're baking. It's, it's more of a conversation rather than, you know, an interrogation. <laughs> an interrogation. Yeah. How much sugar did you put yeah. in that? Exactly. I, exactly. I wonder if there's also this element of it not 
feeling like therapy. I know a few people in my life who are who are maybe afraid of that kind of classic one-on-one or say with kids who may not necessarily be as comfortable in something that feels kind of like a doctor's office. Does this help those kinds of folks um, get help and, and make these sessions maybe a bit less awkward? Yeah, absolutely. So I work a lot with youth mm. and it's it's been really helpful for, for kids because as you're right, it's a little bit it can be intimidating for them to go into, say, a, a regular therapy office or even like a medical office to talk about some of this stuff. So it, it's it's just more uh, welcoming and more playful. So there's more creativity in it as well. And it's not just simply we're going to have a discussion and you know you're going to you're going to we're going to talk about what's going on, but we're also going to be learning something together as well through this process. Yeah. So Riley, I mean, I'm guessing. You know, you, you must be pretty busy, and obviously, not everybody can be in there in the in the kitchen with you. But um, we're all kind of going through some kind of burnout or you know mental health challenges uh, with what's been going on. Um, what 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 could you suggest, uh, like as far as an element of baking therapy that we can maybe bring into our own kitchens at home? You know, I think people have naturally been doing it. You know, at the, even at the start of the pandemic, people were baking bread. People were going back to their roots. Another reason why food is such a great, you know, even like self-care or coping tool is that it often brings back nice, warm memories for people. And so, you know, something simple as just baking something at home is very heartwarming. It's also very nourishing for you. It's a, it's just a very immersive experience. So just having that time set aside to bake something of, of interest or maybe it reminds you of something in your childhood or you want to learn something and challenge yourself, then I think that's a that's a great option for a lot of people. It's a great hobby. Riley, what's your favorite thing about baking? You clearly love it so much, but is there one thing that kind of sticks with you? I really just try... I really like to just challenge myself and try different things, but in particular, I like I like working with doughs. So again, that that immersive using my hands and really like playing around with it. It's yeah. it's it takes for me. It's my form of you know self care is just focusing on something else and um, taking a little break from sometimes the stresses and the burnout of life. I can I can already taste the cookie dough. I'm vi- I've been just visualizing this on on an island like on a kitchen island and um yeah, yeah I'm 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 all in. I, I think I'm going to all of a sudden start baking maybe in a couple of weeks here. It doesn't help that it's Christmas time and right. everyone probably is all naturally going to be yeah. in the kitchens more as well. I just want to confirm though, the therapy still counts if I burn it, right? <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Okay, good. Absolutely. Or we there can will we be can burning. Talk through that. Yeah. <laughs> On the note of baking, it is officially December. So, Min, am I allowed? Can I say happy holidays? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, cool. Advent calendars are cracked. Everything. Lights are on. Trees are up. People are... Santa hats are people out of the way in stores. Oh, that too. That's yeah. not as fun as no. the others. 
Um, but we are having some fun today. We're bringing in an expert to talk baking right now, who uh. conveniently is also a colleague of ours at CBC Edmonton. Resident expert. Liam Harrop. Welcome back to The Loop. Uh, thank you. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I always kind of giggle when someone calls me expert. <laughs> <laughs> I did see a little bristling. But you are. I mean, oh, yeah. tell us a bit about your, your credentials. You are... Not just any old baker. Uh, I guess so. Um, so I was on season three of the Great Canadian Baking Show, um, and I was there for a few, a few weeks. So they didn't like kick me off <laughs> right away. I like I, I I clung. <laughs> I thought I recognized you <laughs> from the TV. I mean, he's that guy. Is <laughs> someone who clearly loves baking and is clearly quite darn good at it. How do you feel about holiday baking? Um, I mean, it's really like the month for baking, really. Yeah. Mm. Like that's when I find probably more people start baking and that's when you get kind of creative. Mm-hmm. That's when I think it's kind of expected to bake. Definitely. It's also nice because it's cold. It is. Yeah. So it's so like an it's... excuse to like stay inside. <laughs> yeah. You know, the oven's on. So yeah. you're like, oh, this will heat up my house too. <laughs> <laughs> Double whammy. <laughs> Do you actually always enjoy baking? Because sometimes I get frustrated, right? Sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes. Like there's oh, certainly <laughs> disasters or like you're there with stress pouring down and you're like, why did I promise to make this for <laughs> this person? <laughs> well, people this who a talk disaster. a good game and you're kind of like, uh, come on. I know. I <laughs> you can read right through it. You can read right through because we don't like. I think we get sort of intimidated by people what they have on social media. Like mm-hmm. when they post their baking, yeah. a lot of people don't post their like five <laughs> cakes it took to make that one cake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a highlight reel. It is always a highlight. Like, smoke and mirrors yeah. exists in baking. I knew it. Yeah, it most certainly does. But the holidays isn't at a time of stress for baking too, because it's like you're baking for a party or you're mm-hmm. baking for a gift or. I don't know. Like, is there anything that you hate to bake this time of year? Um, what do I, what do I hate to bake? Um, I mean, not really. Like, there are certain things that, um, like, I always have goals, of, mm, like new things okay. that I would like to try. Yeah. Damn. Um, every Christmas, of uh, a friend and I, we have like Christmas challenges. Oh my gosh! And so we have twelve challenges each that we have to like complete, and some 12. of them. Twelve. I mean, they're not all to do with baking, okay. but like okay. some of them. So like this year, one of them is to make a floating island that I'm kind of excited for. Like, so that's sort of a new dessert for me. Oh, oh it's a dessert. I was, it's, a dessert. <laughs> it's a French dessert. I was a little confused about what a floating island meant. I was like, in the bathtub? <laughs> I know, in the bathtub. You could eat it in the bathtub, I think. Intra- what, what's a floating um, island? So it's like a French dessert. It's like a custard. Okay. And then it has um, like floating islands of um, meringue on it. Oh, okay. So it's like a, Whoa. a Julia Child's dessert, I think. Mm, okay. So it's French. I... I'm not going to attempt the French uh, title pronunciation. Lille's de. I think there's like oof. Flotation. Oof's is know. egg, I think. Oh, well, yeah. it's egg. It's a, like it's oof. Guys, so, because it's the egg um, egg meringue. I need to look this up. So, um, I, I know it has oofs in it. Floating Island. I'm I've never even heard of that. Mm. Sounds very shishi. Oh, Ile Flottante. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That sounds Anyways, that sounds about right. That's sounds the French edition of the Island. <laughs> but we didn't just bring you here today to teach the language. That, um, that picture <laughs> looks be the worst pretty impressive. The You're language. here to throw down the gauntlet for us and set up a holiday baking challenge um, between Min and I. So please, let's go. What is our assignment? What oh. are we going to make for you? Be oh. nice. <laughs> be nice. 
It is. I, I don't think it's too like out of this world. Um, <laughs> floating island. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Floating, island. floating island. And now you know. <laughs> Go. Um, so since this is type of year Christmas, like mm-hmm. and huge time of year for people to start baking, I was thinking for the ultimate Christmas cookie. Oh. Um, but like with one little caveat, oh. ultimate Christmas cookie that you can that would work to dunk in like a hot liquid yes. like tea or hot chocolate okay. or rum toddy yeah. a dunkable a dunkable christmas, christmas cookie. cookie any so, other caveats any other advice any other no that that's do? it oh, so gosh. it's gonna have to involve a lot of sugar a lot of sugar i guess you just sort of have to think about absorption like you don't want a cookie that you dip into your tea and then it and like it, disappears yeah. Mm, yeah okay so a sturdy <laughs> ends up at the bottom cookie. yeah that's... i need to make a digestive cookie with a chocolate covering <laughs> Can I buy Chocolate's a digestive good. cookie with a chocolate cup? <laughs> Have you ever dunked a digestive into like, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, oh, those yeah. things? It's There's perfect. that, like, it okay. hit, what, you got to hit the perfect saturation, unless, otherwise you're going to lose it. I think Min's mm. going to win this. I've, I've oh, got, ex- no. I've he's, got experience. He's already planning. He's got, got to got be using these cookies. So, okay, I think okay. this sounds like fun. So a dunkable Christmas cookie. Yeah. We're going to go. We're going to make that. Mm. And then next week you're going to come back. We will provide you. Now we have to provide you with a hot beverage as well, which well, that, I think was your strategy. It was my strategy. Like, I'll how can I milk tea. this to get more? <laughs> and we will provide you with a hot beverage. We'll do a dunkable taste test. Yeah. And um, we'll see who, who takes the cake. That's going to be awesome. I'm going to win the T-shirt. Uh, there's a t-shirt I think we need there's to make a t-shirt prizes? I yeah. think we need to make a Best baking dunkable CBC cookie baking maker. bake off winner <laughs> it should just say CBC bake off winner his name is Minner yes <laughs> Minner I'm already not looking forward to this well he threw down the gauntlet I'm throwing down mine bud Liam thank you you're welcome we will see you, you soon a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton. And our team is Min Darwal, Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, Christina Silva, James Evans, and a special thanks this week to Talish Zuffer. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common. And I'm Claire Bonneman. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to tune in next week to hear me kick Min's butt at our baking challenge. Probably. Oh, the confidence. <laughs> the Pro- confidence probably. is high. The confidence is high, isn't it? No. I took grade seven home economics, so you better watch out. <laughs> I'm terrified. Yeah, see, that's what it is. This is <laughs> this is pre-baking intimidation going on here. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens next week. But uh, even if you don't get to hear Claire win, because I will, there's always so much more to know. So you can get into the loop with us every Friday, of course. Yep. We would love to have you. Leave us a rating or a review wherever you download your shows and uh, if you want to get in touch with us we have an email the loop at cbc.ca mm-hmm. use hashtag the loop cbc on social media or reach out to us via twitter i'm at min dariwal i'm at nami Nob. and of course follow the show on cbc listen or your favorite podcasting app i feel like he needs like music intro he's a baker a candlestick maker yeah. yo <laughs> Want or knowledge. whatever song you enjoy. <laughs> like no, or even no the theme from the, theme the British baking show. That would be good. Well, yeah. I mean, great Canadian baking show has its own theme. Like and Brit- that would be even more on the nose. Have you seen the British one? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, th- I think it's way better than the Canadian one. Well. <laughs> I'm kidding. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.